You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I summed everything up at the end. Meaningless. <laughs> what, what happened? Well, he tells us, chapter 2, verse 1. I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. So he tried the comedy club. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine. So he tried the bar. And embracing folly. I did some things I knew were wrong. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, I didn't lose my mind. I knew exactly what I was doing. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. You'd think that the man who had it all would have found great meaning and lasting happiness in his life. Solomon had wisdom, riches, women, and power. He had it all. Yet he summed up his life as meaningless apart from God. Today, Pastor Danny will be reminding you that earthly temporal things are going to fade and that they can't bring fulfillment and joy to your soul. Only living a life pleasing to God can give you that. Only God can fill that void in your soul because you were created for Him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter one, as he begins his message, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes Overview, a search for meaning. Ecclesiastes. Before we get into the text, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Ecclesiastes was written by a man named Solomon. Solomon was the son of the most beloved king in history of Israel, King David. When Solomon takes the throne, God says to him, what is it you want me to give you? What can I do for you? You imagine God giving you a blank check. What would you ask for? Solomon asked for wisdom, and God granted that request, and big time. I wrote down some of the things that Solomon became. He became a botanist. That's an expert in the study of plants. He became a biologist. That's an expert in the science of living organisms. Get this one. He was an ishtheologist, not a scratch guy. It's the branch of zoology that deals with fish. He was an expert on fish. There's a guy you want to talk to. He wrote books. He wrote plays. He wrote poems. He wrote proverbs. And he wrote songs. Now, if you found Ecclesiastes, keep a marker there. Go back to the left if you can find 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 4. Solomon was given so much wisdom by the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East. People whose names we don't recognize, but in that day, people there would have recognized. 
greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. His fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, some of which we have in our Bible. And his songs numbered 1,005. He wrote 1,005 songs. You write that many songs, you probably got a couple of hits. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Now I want to show you one more. 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. Get this. Verse 23. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Not only the smartest man we know of that ever lived other than Jesus, but the richest man that ever lived. Because Solomon didn't ask for riches, but rather for wisdom, God said, I'm going to give you wisdom, and because you didn't ask for it, I'm going to give you riches too. Sounds like Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added. You don't have to ask for them. You don't have to seek them. Ecclesiastes is Solomon's autobiography. Autobiography was written by the person themselves about their life. Chapter 1, Ecclesiastes, verse 1. The words of the teacher, sometimes translated preacher, Son of David, king in Jerusalem. That word teacher, sometimes translated preacher, is a word that has to do with a title of a person who calls an assembly together. Somebody who says, hey, everybody gather around, gather around, because they have something they want to say that they believe will be a benefit. The New Testament equivalent of that word translated teacher, sometimes preacher, is the word ekklesia. The word ekklesia is the Greek word translated for the church. It describes what we're doing right here, right now. We've come and we've all gathered together and we are one local fellowship called Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Solomon is our teacher, our preacher. What does he have to say? Verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Makes you just want to read the rest of the book, doesn't it? He's an older man. He's pretty much lived his life. And that's his opening line. Solomon, what happened? You're the smartest guy that ever lived. You're the richest guy that we know of that ever lived. And, and you're saying, when I summed everything up at the end, meaningless. <laughs> what, what, what happened? Well, he tells us, chapter 2, verse 1. I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. We've well, tried the comedy club. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine. So he tried the bar. And embracing folly. I did some things I knew were wrong. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, I didn't lose my mind. I knew exactly what I was doing. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Well, when he says I built houses for myself, that's an understatement. Solomon was the one who built the temple of the Lord. David, his father, wanted to build it, but God said to him, you got too much blood on your hands. 
You can raise the money. You can get the blueprints together, but your son's going to build the temple. And so Solomon built, if you will, the house for the Lord. But if you read the record, after he finished that, he built his own house, and his own house was a lot bigger than what he built for God. Verse 5, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Solomon, ring a bell. Somebody would show up. What would you like? I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I was the richest guy ever. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. I mean, the hit song, Solomon just bought the band. And a harem as well. I had girls everywhere the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this, my wisdom stayed with me. In other words, I I knew exactly what I was doing. I hadn't lost my mind. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Here's what I put in my notes. Despite how impressive he was to the world in all his wisdom, his autobiography reveals a man who searched for meaning in life and anything and everything other than God. Those of us who are older, most of us here, (laughs) uh, remember the name Billy Graham. He was a great evangelist for years. During his ministry, he told a story of a man who consulted a psychiatrist for help because he was suffering from deep depression. Every morning he, he'd wake up, he was discouraged, and it'd just get worse as the day would go on. He got so desperate, he made the appointment with the psychiatrist, sat in his office, told him uh, how depressed he was. And near the end of the time with the psychiatrist, the psych- psychiatrist said to the guy, uh, look, there's this, there's this clown. And he's at this local theater here, and he's, he's just getting people laughing every night. He's a hit, man. You ought, to, you ought to at the very least go and see that clown. Go see that show. Laugh some of your troubles away. You say, that's stupid advice. Proverbs 17, 22, laughter does good like a medicine. Not bad advice. But the psychiatrist was shocked when the man then said, I am that clown. I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I'd like to forget it, but I'm, 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 I guess it's good that I can. In my teen years, I mean, it sounds so foolish now, but I, it was so real then. I really believed that what was going to make me happy was to have all the drugs I desired. When I first started, man, I, I'd scrimp and I'd save and, and just to buy a bag of weed and then, you know, go from the weed to the, the pills and then I tried the LSD and, and, and I, I enjoyed doing drugs. I had a great time. And I thought, man, if I could just have all the drugs, then, I, then I, that's where life is, man. I'd do bad things to get drugs sometimes, dishonest things. But boy, did my ship come in when I met Randy Truitt and Jimmy Dutton. Jimmy Dutton was a cool cucumber. I don't have time to describe him, but I'm telling you what, he, this, dude, this dude was a rock star <laughs> in hiding. 
And all the little grandmas loved Jimmy because he didn't look like a hippie like us. He had short hair and he was clean cut. His dad was a Pentecostal preacher. But underneath, Jimmy was a rotten snake. But he loved drugs. And I loved drugs. And me and Randy and Jimmy, I mean, we became three musketeers. Jimmy robbed the place he worked. He got away with it. He invested the money. I remember he bought three pounds of marijuana. He bought a bunch of what we call green amps, amphetamines. He bought a bunch of tuanols. And all of a sudden, I had through my relationship with Jimmy, and so did Randy, all the drugs we wanted. I'm getting high every day, any drug I wanted. We're making money now off the drugs. We're eating at the best places. Now, the best places in Hartsville, South Carolina, a little lower than the best places maybe around here, but still, we were eating high on the hog, if you will. I'm 17 years old, and I thought, this is life, man. I have arrived, and I will never, ever forget after time passed and doing drugs every day and living it up and partying like crazy, Sitting there in that country house, Jimmy on one side, Randy on the other side, we're bagging the pot to sell. We're dividing up the green amps and the two and all. And I was empty. I was so empty. I was like, it's just not what I thought it was going to be. It didn't deliver what, what I thought it would. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what you think will make you happy. I call Solomon the ultimate been there, done that kind of guy. There's nobody we know of, no of, nobody we know of in history any richer, and nobody that tried everything, everything. He tried it all. So here's my question. It's a very crucial question. How, how, if Solomon had all the wisdom and everything that the world had to offer, how did he end up so depressed? We know, we know, we know. It was because he made some mistakes. But what mistakes? What mistakes? I, I, I like the whiteboard. I don't know if you like the whiteboard, but I, I like the whiteboard. Welcome to class. Let's learn from the guy that had it all and tried it all. And let's see if we can't learn from his mistakes. Deuteronomy chapter 17. God was very clear that if anyone had the awesome privilege of becoming a king over Israel, God gave them specific instruction. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we find this instruction. Chapter 17, and if you go down... Verse 18, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. That would be the Bible, taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. He's to get a copy of the Bible, and he's to personally write his own copy. 
and he's to read it all the days of his life. And it's obvious Solomon didn't do that. Here's his first mistake. He neglected the Word of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lamp unto my feet. I need it for daily decisions. I need it for daily guidance. And a light unto my path. I need, to, I need it because I need a perspective that goes beyond this life. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The manna in the Old Testament wilderness wanderings that came down every day is an illustration meant to teach us that we need daily bread from heaven. Daily bread. Not just every Sunday from a big mouth like me. I need it tomorrow. Every day. And God told Solomon, you make yourself a personal copy and you read it all the days of your life and you make sure you do what it says. And Solomon didn't do that. And he spent a life neglecting the Word of God. If you're still in Deuteronomy 17, look at verse 17, just the first half, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And let me give you another reference that'll blow your mind. First Kings chapter 11, verse three, listen to what it says. Speaking of Solomon, he had 700 wives. He, really? <laughs> this room holds a little over 360 people. It's not absolutely full, but can you imagine if twice as many people in this room, twice as many women in this room, that's how many wives Solomon had. How did that work? All right, think about it. You think about it. It's like, what's your name? I'm your wife. Well, I got 700. I mean, did he have name tags? How do you do anniversary presents? You got me the same thing last year. Oh, I thought I gave her that. You know, and you talk, you talk about money for, for gifts. I mean, Christmas was expensive for Solomon. But 700 wives, and then it says he had 300 concubines. That was from a culture that you just want an extra woman other than just your wife. Solomon's got 700 wives. And then he has 300 concubines. Here's what it tells us. Not only did he neglect the word and didn't do what it said, not only did he not get his nose in the book, he had a weakness. He had a weakness for women. He had one romantic fantasy after another. He had more women than, than anybody we know of. I mean, he just had women everywhere. And at the end of his life, it didn't do it. Meaningless. If you're still in Deuteronomy, chapter 17, the last part of verse 17, after he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray, and the Bible tells us over time as Solomon grew older, 
his wives led him astray. And then God says, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. For the sake of time, I don't have time to turn to every scripture, but you can trust me on this. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, for example, tells us basically Solomon's annual paycheck. Crazy. Crazy how rich the guy was. And here's what happened. Because he accumulated for himself. He fell in love with money. Not wrong to have money. Not wrong to be rich. It's one thing to have riches. It's another thing for riches to have you. He fell in love with money and the things money could buy. When Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. So how do I know if I'm in love with money? Somebody asked a rich guy years ago, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. If you say just a little bit more, you got a problem. When John the Baptist preached and one group would come to him and say, what does it mean for us to repent? And one group, he he turns to them and he says, be content with your pay. Be content with your pay. If you're always just looking for more, something's wrong. Look, this is for each of us, me too. I think if I just had a bigger boat. doesn't mean these things aren't enjoyable. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy things. But, but Solomon's saying when it comes to the end and the real meaning of life, won't do it for you. He fell in love with money. Still in chapter 17 of Deuteronomy, verse 16, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, don't go back that way again. I delivered you out of Egypt. Don't go back, don't go back there again. Egypt is a type of the world. You know what Solomon did? He imported horses and chariots. Well, horses for sure from Egypt, because that's where the best horses were. When we go to Israel in May, one of the stops is an archaeological dig where they've uncovered some of Solomon's stables where he kept those horses from Egypt. Now, some people say the horses was because he fell in love with money. I'm going to suggest to you that the horses and the chariots fit more with the other thing that Solomon did. And that was he sought satisfaction Now, you can call it what you want. I'm going to say earthly achievement. You sought satisfaction in earthly achievements. Bigger house, more horses, chariots, greater projects. What is it you long for? Whether you want to be a rock star, a sports star, a successful business person, whatever field you're going in, you want to be the best. Nothing wrong with wanting to be the best. Just understand that when you reach the top, if you reach the top, That's not where the meaning of life is. 
so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. We'd like to take a moment and offer you an opportunity to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of this program? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and that their hearts would be open to the truth of the gospel. Please also pray for us. We want to continue following God's plan for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to the Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as not to distract from God's truth. That does incur some costs, though. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any and all amounts are greatly appreciated and will be used to share the good news of Jesus' love for the world. Thank you for praying about this. That website one more time is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for being a part of our time here today on The Living Word.